0: Welcome to Rogue Grace, as we call it, and I'm Peter John, glad to be with you for the next five minutes, one hour, or anything in between, sharing the goodness of God and His grace. It's interesting that it says in the end of Hebrews chapter three, that they, the people or the children of Israel were unable to enter the land of promise because of unbelief. That's the last verse of our previous passage. They didn't. Fail to enter the promised land because of hedonism or idolatry or adultery. They failed to enter because of one thing, unbelief. And often I think we assume, well, the reason people or that person or even myself, we would think am not into the land of God's promise is because of this sin and that issue and the other problem. But the fact is the one thing that keeps you from the land of promise which is the rest that God gives. The blessing that he gives is unbelief. To be an unbeliever gives me puts me at a disadvantage out of the land of promise. Now, going into chapter four this morning, hope you're having a great day so far. If not, listen to these verses and let them give you encouragement, ironically, because it sounds like a warning, but it's a beautiful one. Because it says in chapter four, verse one, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So we see that the promise that was physically illustrated in the Old Testament with the promised land is now spiritually reality. And it's not just an only a physical property, or a land. It is rest. Wouldn't you like to have real, authentic rest? And I don't just mean only a day off on a Sabbath or a vacation. I'm not just talking about taking 15 or 20-minute break. I mean an authentic, real rest for your soul, no matter what the outside circumstances may be, you have peace in your heart, peace in your soul. That's the rest that Hebrews is offering that God is giving. We'll talk about that right after this.
1: love each other. We know what love is worth. Worth, because you loved us first. I wounded everyone I cared about. I shut them out. I built a barricade of pride they could not climb. Your death, your blood, your love changes everything. Because you loved us first, first. Now we can love each other. We know what love is worth, worth. Because you loved us first. We can't love the way you love us. love I've never seen the blood you shed for me has said your life, love is marked with sacrifice, love will always persevere.
0: Hebrews chapter 4, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should have seemed to fail to reach it. For good news came to us just as to the people of Israel, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So there was a separation as the message went out between those who listened and those who did not listen or receive it concerning the land of promise. And so while it should have only taken something like 11 days for for the journey from Egypt to the land of promise, it took them. Instead, 40 years instead of 11 days. So eventually they would have the party (laughs) when Joshua took the rule, the helm, and they entered the promised land and took the territory. They eventually would have the celebration and the party, but in many ways they were late for the party. Because that's what unbelief does. It rips you off. It keeps you back. Remember in 2 Kings chapter 6, when Elisha said to the king and his council, the king of Israel, and his main guys, he said to them that God the next day would bring down bread from heaven to feed the people of, of Israel or of Jerusalem or of, I should say, of upper Israel and what we would call Canaan. And there was one of the king's chief administrators who mocked, who laughed, who taunted Elisha for saying that we don't even, we can't even eat anything. We don't have any scraps here even in the garbage area. And you're saying we're going to have bread overflowing. And he taunted him. And Elisha said, everyone else is going to have some, but you, you'll see it. He said, but not eat any of it. And the next day it's true. The guy was watching, he saw, and then he got run over by the crowd. He was watching what others were enjoying. Although he himself never was able to. And that's what unbelief does. You can see, I can see other people doing well or in a good position or in a serene place in their heart. But me, no, I don't have that when I'm not resting, trusting in the work and the grace of God. So the rest of God, Letting you rest in your heart and in your soul, in your psyche, is in the past. When you first became a Christian, it's in the future when you first see God in eternity, but it is also for the present. Interesting, past, present, future, that in the Bible we see three pronunciations, we see three Wonderful statements about the time we're in, or we're in, or will be in. About God, for example, in Genesis it says that when God created the earth and all that is in it, at the end of each day, besides Monday, by the way, but at the end of each other day, God said, "It is good." And then on the cross, Jesus cried, "It is finished." In the book of Revelation, at the very end, chapter 21, 22, we read that the angel of the Lord says, it is done. It is good. It is finished. It is done. God has done it. Not you, not me. It's the work of the Lord. So this text about the people of Israel and their failing to enter the land of promise. The point of Hebrews chapter 4, in the verses we just looked at, 1 and 2, along with verse 3, the point is not to be focusing on yourself in terms of your shortcomings, your failures, and your sins. And not to be focused on the problems around you or the people that are by you, but to be focused that transcends those things and on the risen, once crucified, now alive, Son of God, Jesus himself. I think often we fall into one or two of the first. We are focused on ourselves what shortcomings we have where we have failed and or on others where they have failed and sometimes it's one or the other sometimes it might be both depending on our own tendencies and how we're built and how we think some people put all the blame on themselves some people put all the blame on others the key though is To look at Jesus only. That's the key for today. That's what Hebrews is exhorting us to do. Remember what we talked about, I think, yesterday, when the people of Israel, they weren't in Israel yet. They were still journeying. And they were being smitten by snakes. And the key to being healed was Moses Placing a bronze snake in the middle of the camp and whoever looked at it, at the bronze snake was healed. Here's the key. How do I get healed of my snake bite? By that I mean my guilt, my shame, my condemnation. By seeing that my very sins have been taken by Jesus on the cross permanently, once and for all. It is finished. That's what heals me, just like it did them. They were not to examine their snake bites. They were not to extract the venom. In that instance, they were simply to get their eyes off their own wounds and put them on the sacrifice that would be the son, Jesus. And the key to overcoming the poison of my personality or of my problems or of people that seem to be poisoning my day, bringing me down is to get my eyes off of all of that and put my concentration, my focus when I'm feeling those things on Jesus, the perfect one who lived the perfect life, never flawed. His personality was perfect and yet it was also winsome. People loved they hang with jesus they wanted jesus to eat at their house and so he wasn't disconnected he was relatable somehow i don't know how he pulled it off but he did and then he laid down his own life he sacrificed himself for you for you but death didn't hold him down. It didn't have the last word. Three days later, Jesus, as he said he would, was raised by God, the Father, and ascended into heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of God on behalf of you. You. That's right. He represents you because you are in Him by faith. That's beautiful. That's powerful. And that is how we enter into the rest of God. Aren't you glad that grace is falling day by day? God is pouring out his grace on me because I need it and you because you need it. It's like the manna that came from heaven. When we deserved it the least, when we were caught up in our own problems Stuck in our own issues, God poured out his grace because, get this, get this. In Romans chapter 2, it says that it is the grace of God and not his anger that leads us to salvation. You see, if I'm always telling people how angry God is with them, and I'm not saying there's no time for that, Yet Romans two says it's not as effective as the grace of God in leading people to Christ. I know it works for me (laughs) when I recognize the grace of God that doesn't cause me to go off on my own track. It doesn't cause me to use an excuse to walk away from God. It works in me a deep desire deeper, the more I understand that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance and that God loves me and loves you. See, isn't that great? God's kindness leads us to repentance, it says. It's not God's fury or his wrath that it says. It says it's his kindness. Just knowing that you have a father, who wants to come alongside of you and bless you and help you and keep you. That is what works repentance. Not necessarily thinking of God as someone who wants to crush you, burn you, or tear you to shreds, but rather as a father who loves you, wants to be with you, Now that leads a heart to repentance, it says. The more I understand this, the more I'm able to walk away from sin. That's what's amazing. You would think it would be due to self-discipline or even legalism. But in fact, the best way to overcome sin and temptation within is to simply marvel at the grace and the goodness of God. I am right now. I mean, my memory isn't what it used to be after the surgery that I had six weeks ago or whatever it was. My thinking isn't quite the same. That's probably a good thing, actually. But certainly the points that I have theologically and things are on notepads, that's for sure. But they're not in my head as they once were. So I have to trust, God, your grace is what I need here, and it's sufficient for me. And when I do that, when I take my eyes off myself or my lack of intellect or my lack of memory, and I put them on Jesus' perfection, There is an undeniable shalom, a peace that passes all understanding. Try it. Open your Bible and look to Jesus. Take communion and look to him. Come out tonight for our New Year's Eve. What should I call it? Gala or extravaganza? or breakthrough, or blessing. Yeah, our New Year's Eve blessing. My dad will open the Word, and then we'll go outside and be by the bonfires and worship. It's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. So it starts at 6.30, and I believe we go outside around 8, something like that. So come on out and enjoy the new year with us god bless you thanks for tuning in and we will be back tomorrow with rogue grace hebrews chapter 4